Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15, 15 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode contains scenes which are not suitable for children and which some listeners may find distressing. This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. You have, a, you have a time limit in the witness protection of two years. Mine was nearly up. I had to sign out and read OK, and if I didn't, I'd be left by myself. So I said, well, I thought I could say to my man, they said, no, you can't. So they told me I had to go to England, read OK. That was it, basically. I think I had a couple of weeks and was told I could never see my man, never see my family again. I said goodbye to my man in the car park, Stephen's Green, shopping centre, underneath the car park there. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And I had one bag, an MP3 player, and a suit my mum bought me that wore to the trial. And I got on a plane to England. I was given PPS number, I set up a social welfare and stuff like that, and I got a new name. And so I walked, paid my bills, and then I just tried to do that. I just didn't last. I still had all them demons, still had all them nightmares, still had all the guilt, the abuse, the pain, the suffering. The... And I just wanted to take, get away from it all. And if it wasn't tablet, it was drink. If it wasn't drink, it was drugs. I didn't want to remember, I didn't want to feel, I didn't want to be Joey. I didn't want to be the rat. I didn't want to be that cancer. I felt like a cancer of society. I didn't want to be that person anymore. I wanted to be numb, like I wanted to take it away. And anything that I could take it away, what would you us? This is The Witness. In his own words. Episode 9 The Secret Life. It was just strange things. Everything was. It just looked so big where I lived. The place looked so big. The city was so big. It was much bigger than Dublin, like. Pubs were different and the beer was different. I was real shy and timid and they dressed different. It was just strange, yeah. Everything was everything was different. I went to college and I made friends and 
But even that was difficult because we had to have the story and they'd ask questions and it was always where you're from and why you're here by yourself and where's your family and how come you've no family over here, what are you doing living over here? And there was always, you were always on your guard. You were never able to relax. Like I've never been able just to let go. Like I've never been able just to relax. I've never been able just to sit back and just, for one night and just chill the fuck out. Like it's always, always on the ball. Always have to watch what you're saying. And the difficult bit was the family bit because no one could understand why. My family would never come and see me, do you get me? So you'd have to lie some weekends, you just pretend. Say, what are you doing? You're coming at me meeting us the weekend after college or whatever. You're coming for a can't my family's coming over. But my family would never be coming over. You'd have to lie all the time. And it was just... And you're just, then once you make one lie, you're trying to cover the fucking lie constantly. And it's just... Yeah, it's just non-stop. I'm even exhausted now talking about it. Like, literally, it's exhausting. Like. Just the whole thing is exhausting. Even now it's exhausting. I was stranded in a different country and I was just constantly just trying to survive. I was just destitute, like, destitute. I was by myself and I was just trying to live every day. I was begging that something would happen. I don't know, God, it's fucking strike me down or something and make something amazing happen or just make everything go away and I, yeah, I would go to church and get my hands and knees and beg just play something God, just something happened that makes it all going to go away and it doesn't it's never going to go away unfortunately I wasn't sleeping either I was having the nightmares and all them things were still happening to me and so like on one hand, I was doing all right going to college and then the other hand, every day living, I just, I was lonely, like, I was by myself. I was, it was sad, like. It was just, just all fucking, it was just all depressing, like. It was, there was just no, like, what, what was good in it? I couldn't see any good coming from it, like. I had a breakdown in England and I got sectioned. I was having a breakdown, I was using drugs constantly. I was taking all the tablets. I got sectioned. And I was telling the people in the hospital who I really was. And I was in a witness section program and they didn't believe me, they thought I was crazy. So they opened my tablets. I thought I, thought I was literally barking like. And my ma came and seen me. And I was fucking wrapped, wrapped, like strapped to a, to a uh, bed. And uh, my ma said, no. Nah. You need to get out. We need to get you out here. You need to get out here. So I played ball, done what they said till I got out there. Then I got out. I rang my ma. My ma says, time to come home. Well, I came home. I came home in 2009 from England. I didn't know how I was going to do or what I was going to do, but I was still on all these tablets, still addicted to everything. And my ma said, have you got money? I said, well, I have enough money for a flight. She said, book a flight to Belfast and I'll be waiting there for you. And I got a plane from where I was staying to Belfast. And I got into the boot of my ma's car. She put a blanket over my head and they smuggled me from Belfast to Ballymoon. That's where I went back to. And everyone always says, why did you go back to Ballymoon? 
because that was the least place anyone ever thought to find me. Top bad anymore. No one is ever going to think I'm going to be in my mother's. So we got there at all hours in the morning, snuck into the house. I couldn't leave it. I didn't leave it for months. I, I came off all the tablets, my ma detoxed in my ma. My ma went and got me social welfare sorted. She got me a rent alone sorted. Got off all the tablets. And I was grand. Cut was off all the tablets and I got a job and everything was okay. No one knew I was back in Dublin. Everything was fine. And and then I met John, my partner. And we were together for five years. Yeah, we had a good few. We had a good few years together, but I just couldn't do it. I couldn't. I couldn't keep the relationship going because he knew nothing about anything, mm. and it was so hard. We were just so limited all the time. Like we couldn't go on holidays to certain places. We, he, he'd want to go shopping on the north side of the city, and he couldn't understand why I wouldn't want to go. He'd want to go to certain places, certain nightclubs where I knew I couldn't go. And then I'd be, I'd be constantly worried about him in case something must have happened to him because he was with me. It was just hard, and he, we lived, like, he moved in with me. Like It's hard being in a relationship. It's a lot for someone else to take on. That's what it was like, but John, John done nothing wrong. I finished it. And he told me I was straight, I broke his heart. In my head, I was saving him because I didn't want him to get hurt. He didn't understand that because I couldn't tell him that. And to this day, he doesn't know. It's not about, to, yeah, it's a witness, but how can you sit somebody down? And people are going to run for the hills. Like. My ma worries about more than I do. She doesn't want me to be alone, like, but you never know. See what happens in the future. Started going to Jonathan's grave. Yeah, that was surreal, that was. I just couldn't get it out of my mind. I couldn't get it out of my head. I couldn't. But every night I just kept waking up, sweating on, I could picture him. I felt like he was talking to me. And my ma came to see me one day and I said, Ma, I need to I need to go on for the same. She was like, Who? Like, I remember looking at me like I was crazy. I said, I need to go and see Jonathan. She reached out if he's dead, like. I said, No, I know that he's dead. I want you to go to the grave. She says, well, how are you going to find that? I said, I don't know, but I'll find it. So what I done was, like, I googled graveyard, close, closest graveyard to um, Clondalkin. So I got two buses. I remember getting off the bus beside the pub. There was a pub and there were shops beside it. And I walked down and I kind of thought, there's no fucking graveyard here. It was like a housing estate. And then I turned right and then I seen the person that was at the van with flowers. The fella there with flowers. And I went into the graveyard and I just looked and it was just obviously thousands of gravestones. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to find this grave here. Anyways, I thought, fuck it, it was a lovely day. It was boiling and I had a big jacket on me. I was sweating. I started walking up and down and this man looked at me and he was in a tractor, like a jeep, just a tractor sort of thing, digger sort of thing. And he said, uh, are you all right there, son? And I said, yeah, I'm grand. He says, how can I, can I help you? I said, I'm just looking for a grave. He said, well, tell me who it is, I might be able to help you. When I come, I thought, there's no way on earth. There had to be a sign. He says, there's some you remember and some you don't. I said, uh, Jonathan O'Reilly. He said, yeah, that's the fellow that got outside, shot outside the prison, isn't it? I said, yeah. 
He said, yeah, I told you, there's some you, some you remember and some you don't, and that's one you'll always remember. And within 60 seconds, he brought me, walked me straight up to the grave. As soon as I seen the picture, it was the same picture I had in my wallet. He walked off. I just fell onto the ground, onto my hands and knees. I think I stayed there for about four or five hours. I felt terrible leaving. I literally wanted the ground to open me up and just put me there with him. I'll never, ever forget I think when I left, I felt like the wall had been lifted off my shoulders. For the first time, I never I felt just a, I felt this bit of peace. Being actually been able to talk. I know I was talking to a grave, but I actually was able to talk for once. And it was the first safe place I've ever been where I've been able to talk freely and openly and not worry about flipping up or making a mistake or being afraid or being cut out. Or I think that's why I was there for so long. And I remember getting up and walking off and ringing my ma. I literally felt like, oh my God, I felt amazing. Just for like a couple of hours. But for them few hours, I just felt like, oh my God. Like, there is fucking, there is a God, like, <laughs> there is somebody there, do you know what I mean? A story was in the Sunday world. Brian Kenny had been getting out to see his family. And he'd been out to see his family seven or eight times since 2004. Well, I was like, what the fuck? Like, I couldn't believe it. Like, I was fucking traumatised. Like, I thought this is an absolute wind-up. I'm after being going through hell. And this murderer, abuser, is after being going to see his son on his communion, seeing his father, Christmas, all these things he'd been getting, all the special treatment. And I've been living through hell. And he's a murderer. I thought, this is a wind-up, like. So, I mean, we get down to the prison, and then the prison had to tell us. They should have told us in the beginning, they never did. They confirmed it was true. So that was grand, I lost the plot. Completely had a breakdown, started taking tablets again. I was on the keys then in Dublin, Dublin City Council, about two or three weeks after that. And three fellas attacked me. I could see them walking past me. I heard your man saying to the fellas at Joey O'Callaghan. Stabbed me in the lip. Three of them got me on the ground, kicked me in the face, jumped up and down on my head. Nicola has the pictures. And, uh, yeah, better bollocks out of us. And, yeah, it was out, all my head was open up. Bruised all over me. Stabbed me in the lip there. I think it's there, yeah. Still the scar. Um, smashed me up. A taxi man stopped the car and started beeping. Brought me to the hospital. But well, I couldn't even walk, couldn't see blood rolling down my face. I got, got to the hospital. When I went into the hospital, I recognised someone at the desk, so I couldn't go. I turned around, jumped back in the taxi and went home. I just lied on the bed and woke up the next day, blood everywhere, all over the bed and all. Then I went to the GP and he stuck my mouth back together. Put stitches in my head. And then uh, that's when the famous picture happened then of me and Nicola and the canal. That's when everybody knew uh, the rap was back, so they say. I was popping fucking Valium like they were old fashioned. I was sleeping tablets, I was taking sleeping tablets, probably 10 sleeping tablets in the daytime. I just couldn't, didn't want to function, didn't want to live, didn't, I just wanted to die like. I was in bits, and then I just rang Nicola. 
and just said I need to talk, like, do you want to talk? Do you want to, I want to talk to you, like. That's funny now, because I actually saw someone who wants to be alive. That's exactly what I saw <laughs> in you. Yeah, and I just didn't feel like that. I didn't think for a second that you didn't want to be alive. I thought you really wanted to be alive. You were just, you're a bit scraggly, and you do take a lot of care with your appearance, but you were a bit, well, you'd been beaten up, and you had sort of a, a T-shirt on and your, um, your bulletproof vest thing, which was well-worn. Yeah, no, I definitely, I just saw a person who had done so much to survive and wanted to survive and just wanted a chance at it being a little bit easier. That's what I got, that's what I'm saying. Mm. That's all I needed, I think, was the chance, and I think my ma always said that. All I needed was that opportunity just to say, here's the right help. And I grabbed it with both hands. In the meantime, then, the O'Reilly family had heard what had happened to me and wanted to meet me. Just after I got attacked and Kenny had been getting out, they'd asked to meet me and I'd, I wasn't sure. I just wasn't sure I was able and I didn't feel like... I didn't, I didn't know whether they, were, they had expectations of me and I just didn't know whether I could... Well, I, I didn't know what I could give them, like, what I could do for them. And not that they wanted anything. I just felt like there was an expectation and I just didn't know where I could meet it. And I felt like, I already felt guilty enough for hiding the gun. And I already felt like, oh, jeez, was, was I in the wrong even going to the graveyard? Had I got a place even being there? So what we, we agreed is that we'd get mad to go first. My ma would go and they'd me see how they got on. And then, so my ma went to Metalores and... Obviously, they hit it off straight away, and Jesus, best thing that ever happened. And they, they got, they got, they've become really close. And then they, they were going back and forward, and they've been back. Up, she, been, she went a few times, but then Dolores had said to her, each time she went, she, she, she every time she left, she said, "When's Joby coming to see me?" Like, first, I agreed to do it, and then we said, well, "Where are we doing?" And then we said, "Well, let's go to the Lincoln Dock, and let's go there." Let's let's go straight in the front door. Fuck it, like, it's the best way to do it. No one's going to expect it. No one's going to think I have the balls to do it. And everyone's going to be comfortable. Well, the Lord's going to be comfortable. My mum's been there. My mum's been there before. And then I just went there and I walked in and, uh, yeah, it was just so overwhelming. Just so emotional. Yeah, I think she must have held me for a half an hour. She just wouldn't let go and... She was crying, everyone was crying, I was sobbing, it was just, it was just surreal. It was just, Jonathan Starr said to me, he said, you still look the same. You still look exactly the same you did that day in the, in the court. I look different now, but back then I didn't. But they could see, they could see, they could see the pain in me, they could see I suffered. Everyone around me knew I wasn't well and I shaved me, I had no hair or anything, I shaved all my hair off. I had a pure breakdown. I literally didn't know what I was doing. Everyone could see I needed help, but I needed psychiatric help. I needed to like, I needed to see somebody like I needed to see a doctor, like a proper doctor. I needed therapy like. And the doctor I was seeing, I've done a report and sent it to the guards. My counsellor, Peter, I've done a report. Nicola had fought to a nail, she done 
I don't know, she wrote that many articles in the Sunday World, I don't know how she didn't get a fucking tracked. They pushed it until the state agreed they had paid for it. And I went to the priority. I remember going to the airport and my mum was crying. It's the last time we'd, I went on a plane and she'd never seen me again for years. And just straight away, there was this whole feeling, all these feelings were coming back up. Ma told her, she was never going to see me again. But she always said, my mum always said, all he needed was one chance to get well and he'd take it. All I needed was one chance. If they'd have given me this chance in 2005, I'd have taken it. And I proved it. Give, get me the right help and I'll take it. And I done that and went to the priory and I remember going on the plane and had a guard on each side of me. The bird even spoke to me the whole time. I didn't speak to them and they didn't speak to me. And We got to the UK and we were sitting in this conference room waiting. This woman comes in and says, um, um, Joseph, which one's Joseph? And she thought, she, she was expecting this big gangster because she'd been told, I don't know what she'd been told, but from what she was told, she was expecting this big monster, this big criminal gangster, this big lunatic. And she says, which one's Joseph? And I says, yeah, that's me. And she literally just took me, walked out the door, closed the door and got me into a car. And she just took me away from the guards. Didn't even thank them. She just like, I'll take you from here. Got in the car and took me to the hospital. And I remember going up the hill and it was just this big house on the hill. It was like something you see of a horror film. All these windows and... It was in the middle of nowhere up on all these mountains. It was at night time by the time I got there. And I went in, I was sharing a cottage with four other people, three other people. I wasn't in the big house. The big house was where the people that were sectioned. I was a private patient, so I was staying in the cottage. And I went in and they just took me down to my room and they brought me in the telly, put the telly in. Told me I wanted to smoke, I'd go outside. And I just lied on the bed and I slept. And it was just a normal sleep. And I, I didn't know what, what I presume it was normal because I just closed my eyes and I went to sleep. And they left me for a few days before all the therapy and all the tablet taking and all that fucking thing started. And all the OCD and it was all, it was just a big battle then. It was just a, it was a battle to get well, like. Mm-hmm. But they let me rest because I needed to. Like, it was like I got a new lease of life coming from the priory, like. Being there for that year, like, and I was having four sessions a day, like. For, for 12 months and that's what I needed intense therapy like even I remember like all the tablets and they were looking at me like whoa, whoa. like it was like weaning the junkie off off tablets like you should have seen me cracking up in the priory for the four, four, five weeks man I was fucking running them up in the priory because they were taking all the tablets that Kenny had been giving me for years then the doctors had been giving me for years and I was addicted to them and like, I, was, I was like a junkie coming off heroin I was coming off all these benzos, they had the pins. I was taking them and to sleep and all. So I was probably taking four or five of them just to sleep. And one of them would knock you out for fucking a week. So what the doctors done in the, in the priory was, they were just brutal, they were, they were just vicious, they were just... So what I, what was happening was, is when I was going to the medication box at night time, I'd have to queue up like everybody else at the hatch. And I started noticing, every night I'd go up, there would be the left tablet. And I was like... I was like, no, I was like, hold on, what the fuck are you playing at, like, a man at the hatch, like, I was like, yeah, more tablets, like, put the tablet in the box, like, and he was like, what you mean, I was like, every time I'm coming up, you're giving me less tablets, 
and they weren't saying this to me, and I was I nearly pulling a man through the hatch. Like I'm like, uh, uh, after I copped it, after a couple of days, I demanded to feed the house psychiatrist, and I was like, yeah, taking me tablets from me. He was like, yeah, he said, you're you shouldn't be on these tablets. They just strung out on them. Like you're on tablets of stuff you shouldn't even be on. You haven't even got the stuff that they're saying you have, and you're strung out on all this medication, all these diazepam, and you're going to be on them for the rest of your life, and you're going to have to come off them, man. You're going to come off them here, whether you like or not. He said, you either go home or you come off them. And I didn't want to, I wanted to get well, and it was the only, cho- it was the only opportunity I was ever given, like, to actually really get the proper help. This wasn't here. This wasn't here. Yeah. This is the gate down here. That was all. That was all the field. When he, uh, when he started abusing me, after the milk round, he used to bring me in there in that gate in the van. None of these factories were here. Yeah. Without them, it must have been. It was scary. It yeah. Was, it was always scary. It was always pitch black. This was the way it was. It was... Sometimes being out here was a lot less scary than being in the house. Mm. I think people sometimes always think when I say that it's a bit strange, but it wasn't. Sometimes just it. When the phone rang, he'd be lying in the house. When the phone rang for someone to say they wanted drugs. Hear the plans? Yeah. I used to be sitting on the when I used to sit out the attic and have a smoke and they'd be downstairs because I wasn't allowed to smoke in my bedroom in the attic so I used to climb out onto the roof and they'd see the plane and I used to look at the stars because my dad used to at me in Ballymun where we were in Poppentry my dad used to sit at the gate and I used to sit on, the, sit on his shoulders and look at the stars and he used to always name them and that's what I used to do my dad was dead then and I'd sit on the thing just thinking how the fuck am I going to get out here but uh if I hadn't got out of the car, I would have been better. Because I can't picture myself as a child by myself walking down that road. 
in the freezing cold, some nights in the pissing rain, hiding drugs. And... But I'm glad I'm standing here now and he's not here. It's mad to be here and not having him there. To think that I'm going to have to go back around there now. That's a mad feeling. It's surreal just standing here, thinking that I don't have to go back to that house. But like, without him controlling me, like, without him coming around here after me, or ringing me phone the same way, it's just crazy, like, just standing here. And knowing there's nothing he can do about it. You're not scared? No. I think I'll always be scared of him, but I'm not scared now. I feel like I've... There's always going to be a bit of fear of him. I don't think I'll ever get rid of that. But I do feel like a man standing here. And I can picture, literally, I swear to God, I can picture a child walking down that little lane in the dark. Look how dark that is. And I used to do that every day, every night. And there's a part of me that feels sorry for the child. What the fuck was I doing, like? How the fuck did I end up up here in the middle of bleeding nowhere, roaming around these fields? We're a motor on it. I'm going to try and enjoy my life the best way I can. What can I do? I'm getting, I am getting anxious because he's in an open prison, like... Like, in an open prison, you're, you're one foot out the door, like... What do I do if I bump into him? Like, it's on sight, like... Like, I'm not ten years old anymore. I can't just... I can't just let him kill me, like, I have to fight back, like... Or do I run? What do I do? I don't know what's going to happen. What if he cornered me somewhere or something more? You're going to have to fight, like... I don't want him getting the hands on me again. No one touching me again, so but we'll see what happens. He's coming out of a different world as well, and I think people know what he is now. I think that'll kill him more than that. I'm just all I've done was tell the truth. I think Ma always said to me, "Life will always be easy if you tell the truth, and you don't have to worry about anything." And I never had to worry about anything because when I thought. When I gave evidence in 2005, I told the truth. Look what happened. And I never had any concern about anything. Because all I've done is tell the truth the whole time. Unfortunately, some bad, I've ended up in some bad situations because of it. But fuck it, it's life. We keep going. And I will be OK in the end. And I do see hope. And I do see a future. And and probably somewhere in the back of me will always have that little bit of fear, but I think it's good to have that. Because I have to accept my circumstances, but they don't have to be confined by them either. And I'm going to be OK. My name is Joseph O'Callaghan.